As we get started, you don't have to raise your hand on this one. Uh, just wondering, how many of you enjoy running? I don't know if that's been a, a part of your life, if running has been something you have uh, done. Um, how many of you run? How many of you get annoyed by those who like to run? Yeah, maybe we'll show hands. That was quick. Okay. Uh, yeah. Yes, or Chase. Yeah, we're going to look at that, actually. So uh, I don't know if you know this, but there's all these people who run races, maybe in costumes or doing different things. There's a guy who ran the Chicago Marathon in two hours and 55 minutes, which is unbelievable in itself, while juggling, okay, and he didn't drop once. So for two hours, 55 minutes, he ran fast 26 miles while juggling. It's unbelievable. Uh, I don't know if, you, again, if you're a runner, if you have uh, run to get in shape, to train for a run. I remember as a little kid, you probably had to run the mile. Some of you, that was the worst day of PE when you had to do your, your timed mile run. Uh, maybe some of you have had to run like your life depended on it. Uh, maybe not a lot of you, but, but maybe some of you. Uh, but today we're going to look at a story about a guy named Onesimus, uh, who is a fugitive slave who is running for his life. Uh, he has stole probably from his owner, and he has run away. And so we're going to read this in its entirety. I'm going to give some background, and then we're going to just dive into it, kind of go verse by verse. We're going to look at kind of the first part today, and then next Sunday we'll finish up. I'll give a little bit of a glimpse into what we're going to talk about next week. If you don't own a Bible, there's a Bible around you somewhere. Uh, we're going to be in what's called Philemon. Um, and and the, the title of this is just The Power of a Changed Life. Something happens to us and through us when our lives are changed, specifically by what God is, is doing. So if you don't own a Bible, there's a Bible around you somewhere. The page number will be there, 1183, in that hardback Bible around you. I'm going to read through it. It says, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, to Aphia, our sister, to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers, because I hear about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the saints. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I appeal to you on the basis of love. I then, as Paul, an old man, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my son, Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. I am sending him who is my very heart back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I'm in change for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent, so that any favor you do will be spontaneous and not forced. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back for good, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave. As a dear brother, he is, a very, he is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it 
to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I have some benefit from you and the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confidence of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one thing more, prepare a guest room for me because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ, Jesus, sends you greetings. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The spirit or the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So this is written, as we see in the beginning, by a guy named Paul. Uh, He's currently in prison due to the fact that he won't stop talking about Jesus. He's been persecuted. He's been whipped. He now finds himself in chains, near death several times. And he has met Onesimus. And, And we see in this, quite different than a lot of what Paul writes, Paul normally writes to a group of Christians. So Romans is written by Paul to the church in Rome. Uh, 1 Corinthians is written to the the Christians in Corinth. This is very different. This is a personal letter. This is a letter written just to one guy, Philemon. It's personal and it's full of meaning. It's interesting. This is the only letter that, that Paul writes that doesn't mention Jesus, his death, or resurrection. And we're going to dive more into that next week. But Philemon's a member of a church that's been found in Colossae. The church is actually meeting in his home. Uh, He's got some power, and he has some slaves. So real quickly, uh, we need to talk about that part. Slaves in the Bible is quite differently than what we have seen and experienced in Western culture in the 19th century. This is extremely important. There's people who I've had conversations with who have a hard time with God and the Bible because they feel like it condones slavery, but it's quite different. Uh, The slavery that was taking place now is extremely different than the shameful things that happened in our country. Uh, the, the, The decisions that were made by our leaders and honestly even the church during that time. It's very different. Uh, actually, slavery then, some people would have to put themselves into slavery because they had no family. They had no one. It was the way they would work for anything that they got. Uh, sometimes they were just born into that setting and, and they were in slavery. Sometimes the people were highly educated. Uh, they were teachers and accountants. They were physicians. Alexander the Great had a slave. Maybe you've heard his name. Aristotle was a slave to Alexander the Great who taught Alexander the Great a lot of the things that he knew. High-skilled laborers were a lot of the people who were slaves. There were some who weren't skilled or those who were being forced into it by punishment they had done wrong or because of war. But we see in the scriptures often, especially in the New Testament, there's writings on how masters and slaves should be in relationships. That masters should treat their slaves with respect and with love. And so it's hard for us, as we hear that term, to really put ourselves in a different kind of situation because of the baggage that we've seen, because of the hurt and the pain that's happened in our own country. And so it's quite different. So hopefully you're able to get that sense of the difference of what we're talking about here and what we have seen. Uh, We have Onesimus, who is a slave, and for whatever reason, he runs. He runs. And it was actually 
a crime to hold a fugitive slave or to help a fugitive slave. When a slave was caught and brought back to the owner, there were three things that could happen, and this is important. Uh, they could simply, simply, uh, say that lightly, uh, be whipped or beaten. Uh, they could be branded on their forehead with F-U-G, that would have stood for fugitive, or at the very worst, could be killed. We've read the story of what Paul is saying is going to happen, and this is the future that Onesimus is facing. Paul is trying to send Onesimus back to Philemon, knowing that this is the possibility. And so Paul writes this letter to Philemon. At some point, Paul would have had an encounter with Philemon. He knew who Philemon was. Uh, He knew what he stood for. He knew what his life looked like. And he wanted him to listen to what he had to say about Onesimus. We see that Paul, Paul was one of these guys who even in change couldn't stop talking about Jesus. And so Onesimus possibly had been arrested and put in chains. And next to Paul, hears about Jesus and his life is changed. He sees the grace, he hears about the love, and his heart is transformed. And so Paul wants Onesimus to be able to go back to Philemon changed. He wants to persuade Onesimus to make the long journey back to his rightful owner, who has every right to punish Philemon, He wants him to make that journey and see his life differently. And so he basically sends him with a reference letter. As a youth pastor, I've written, when I was a youth pastor and even now, I write a lot of reference letters. Uh, I've written them to very high-level colleges, and I've written them to job applications to Steak and Shake. Everywhere uh, in between, I've written these reference letters. Sometimes I know the student, sometimes I barely do, and I have to write these reference letters. And they are going to speak on behalf of that young person or even adult. And this is what's happening. Uh, Paul is literally writing a reference letter for Onesimus. And Paul has this agenda. He has a goal. And his goal is Philemon will respond with love and forgiveness and restore Onesimus. I think his goal is that he would see him maybe for the first time that how he sees him will be different. And and we're going to just scratch the surface this week a little bit, more next week, but I think what Paul is saying to Philemon is that he will have compassion for Onesimus, that he will have a compassionate heart. Now, can you imagine being Onesimus? He found freedom from slavery by running, he found ultimate freedom, freedom when he gets arrested and finds himself in chains with Paul. He finds a freedom that God gives to him. And now Paul says, you have to go back. I can imagine for Onesimus, he's thinking, no, 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 I'm, I'm good, right? Like, I'm good with God and, and everything's okay. I, I can probably just stay here. Let me help you, Paul. And Paul says, no, sometimes the right thing to do is the hard thing to do. Let me say that again. Sometimes in your life and my life, the right thing to do is the hard thing to do. And I think this is what Paul is trying to get Onesimus to understand and to believe. That Onesimus had done wrong, he had not done what he was supposed to, and even though he had found freedom in God, there was something else that he needed to do. Remember, he knew what he was going back to. He knew the possibilities of being beaten or branded or 
killed. Paul's writing a letter. He's going to send him with this letter. And the hope is that Philemon will have compassion. But he's unsure. And so he's going to make this long journey. It would have been possibly hundreds of miles. So this isn't just down the road. Uh, Onesimus is going to have a long time to think about this. He's going to have a lot of opportunities to turn back. And if you're like me, the journey to make those hard decisions is the hardest. Uh, My family, when we went to Colorado, we went to what's called the Royal Gorge. I don't know if anyone's ever been there. I've kind of shared I have a fear of heights, uh, but we went to the the Royal Gorge. Here's a picture of it if you've never never seen it. That is a real picture um, of the the Royal Gorge. It's really, really high, and it's only attached on both sides. And so for some reason, people go there and spend money to walk across this bridge. And so our our family did, and as we're walking across, I was like, all right, don't look around. Uh, There's gaps in the wooden planks. And so like every once in a while, I would catch like a glimpse, and like my legs would go a little numb. I don't know if you've ever experienced that. Uh, My legs would go numb. And and so it was not enjoyable, right? Like I knew I needed to get to the other side, but, but it was the journey across that was difficult, right? And we get across, and the kids play, and we do a bunch of things. And then for some reason, I went to the Royal Gorge when I was like 10 or 11, and it was just a bridge. And then someone had the idea to hang these metal compartments on strings across, if you see this, and then ride in these gondolas across. And so my family was like, we're going to do this. And I was like, okay, I'll see you on the other side. I'm going to walk back across the bridge. And uh, I told my wife, I was like, look, if something happens on that gondola, I'm gonna, I'd rather be with you. I'll go on the gondola. Let's do it. And so we make the journey up there, and I was praying that we would be safe. And on the way, we found out it was closed, right? Answer to prayer, right? And uh, I, I didn't pray specifically for it, but I prayed we'd be safe, and we were, right? And so, but, he, but here's what I know. That as funny as that is and how I got across and we were okay, I just know for your life and for my life, What's on the other side, the decisions we have to make, the things that we need to do, are not easy all the time. It's hard. And the journey, the steps we have to take to do that, to forgive someone, that's hard. Maybe even harder is to admit when we've wronged somebody and ask for forgiveness, right? I mean, how long do you play that in your mind before you eventually say, I'm sorry? It's hard. A battle with addiction You've been on that journey possibly for a long time, and you can see the other side, but it's not easy. And so Onesimus makes this journey, and he knows on the other side is his owner who has every right to punish him. And Paul is speaking on his behalf. And so I don't know for you, uh, what is it you're supposed to be doing? Uh, What fear is keeping you from doing it? But can I encourage you just to begin to take those steps? And we're going to see why Onesimus believed that he could do it. So let's take a closer look at this. Uh, we see this greeting in the beginning. We see some names. Uh, Philemon's wife is included. Um, they're talking about this church that's meeting in Philemon's home. Uh, just a, a quick pause on this. I think this is really significant. It doesn't say that necessarily Philemon is teaching or his wife is teaching. What we hear is that they have a resource. Uh, They have a home where people can come and gather, and at some point, Philemon and his wife say, this is what we have to offer the church. 
Uh, would you use it, God? And they begin to meet there. And, and so can I just encourage you? Uh, you? You may see yourself and you may see your giftings different than the people around you. Uh, but but you, you have something that God has given you. And to be honest, the expectation, I believe, that God has for you is that you would use it. Uh, we're going we're gonna to dive into that here in a couple of weeks. What, what does it look like to figure out what your giftings are? How do you apply those here at Trinity and in the community? But we see here Philemon and his wife say, this is what we have to offer. And they offer it up, and the church is meeting there. And then we see verse 3, it says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. And then Paul, not buttering him up, but it sounds like it, begins to just talk about what he knows about Philemon. He's going to give him some encouragement, but here's what I hear as I read Paul writing is Paul knows the reputation of Philemon. His reputation precedes him, and so I think the reason that Paul believes they can even ask this of Philemon is because of his reputation. The reputation is that he loves God, but not only that he loves God, but he loves the church. He loves the people that make up the church. And so I believe Paul says, man, I know who you are. I know what you stand for, and I know I can make this request, that you love God and you love the church. And he has this reputation that goes before him. So again, just quickly, we do too. We talked about this months ago as we looked at this idea of standing up for the kingdom of God, as we talk about having conversations about who God is, a lot of that has to do with our reputations as followers of Jesus, and we all have a part to play in that. And Philemon did his part. And then verse 8, it says, Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do. Paul is high up. Uh, Paul has some clout. Uh, Paul could have said, this is what you're going to do. But then there is this phrase in verse 9 that he says this, Yet I appeal to you, on the basis of love. Uh, this is, uh, to me, a very powerful statement uh, that Paul is making. He, he is not wanting Philemon out of compulsion or guilt to make this decision. I think what Paul is hoping will happen is Philemon will begin to see that he, again, is deeply loved. And the response when we're loved, specifically by God, is to then love the people around us. And so he's like, on the basis of love, nothing else, just on the basis of love, will you hear what I'm going to say? As we talk about the things that we do and we talk about giving and we talk about volunteering, that would always be on the basis of love. As we talk about what God is saying to you and maybe even wanting to change in your heart or in your life or in relationships or we look at addiction, that is out of the basis of love, not guilt, not shame but just this idea of God's great love. So on the basis of love, we care for our neighbors. On the basis of love, we have compassion for people. We have empathy for people. On the basis of love, we, we do what we do. Because love, I believe, the love of God specifically is what changes things. It's what changes our hearts and it's what changes our lives. So Paul, going on in verse 9, says, I then as Paul, an old man, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my, for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. 
What Paul is saying here is that Onesimus became a follower of Jesus. He's no longer a slave. He's no longer a prisoner, but he belongs to Paul. He's a part of Paul's family, so much so that he calls him his son. Then verse 11, he says, Formerly he was useless to you, but now has become useful both to you and to me. Paul's being very smart here. Uh, Onesimus, the name literally means useful or beneficial or profitable. So Paul is saying, look, you no longer had Onesimus. He has run. He is no longer useful to you. But you know what? I'm sending him back to you, and he is very useful. He's going to be beneficial to you, and not as he was before, not simply as a worker or as a slave, but as a brother, as someone who is a follower of Jesus. He is beneficial not only to you, but to the church. And so we see it's love that's changed Onesimus, it's love at some point that changed Philemon, and it is love that has changed Paul. All their lives have been changed, and there's power in that. And so he's trying to persuade Philemon to see Onesimus as a changed man, and that he'd be a benefit to him. Again, I think, he's just asking him, would you be compassionate to him? Would you show compassion? We're going to break this down again more next week. I hope you'll come back. This is important, I think, to us, especially where we're at in our world now. And so Paul probably would have told Onesimus, look, you are no longer who you were. Your your life looks different, and I think that's why he's sending him back to Philemon, because he wants him to see, look, your life is different, and when your life has been changed, changed, part of that is owning up to some of the decisions that you've made. Remember that the hard thing is often the right thing. And so he's wanting Onesimus to see you've got to go make amends with Philemon. He wants him to see that every area of his life has been impacted due to the fact that he's now a follower of Jesus. And so what he's trying to get him to see is once you were this way, but no longer are you. Once he was useless, but now he is useful. Once, but now. Formerly, but currently. I know who I once was, but I know who I am now. I used to be one way, but now with God's help, I'm a new way. And if you have become a follower of Jesus, that's the same for you as well. In the stories of Jesus, we would have this moment where we would see someone who would say, I once was blind. That was my former life. I'm no longer blind. I now see. I once was lost, but now I have been found. The formerly is not what is the current narrative of Onesimus' life, and it's not for you either. This is the good news of God. Specifically, if you're a follower of Jesus, or maybe today would be the day that you said, look, I want to follow Jesus, but who you were isn't who you have to be. The struggles that you've had, the things that have been done to you don't have to have power over you anymore. Once, but no longer. And it's God who does this. It's not us simply just being better or working harder. It's beginning to trust that God could change who we are. It's in his character to make us new. But it's a journey. 
It's those steps that we have to take. And there's going to be struggles, and it's going to be hard at times, but it is God's goodness as we sang about. It is his kindness that helps us and changes us. And then here's where Paul makes this bold request, verse 12. He says, I'm sending him who is my very heart back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I'm in chains for the gospel, but I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you do will be spontaneous and not forced. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back for good, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He's very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. This is a bold request that Paul is making. Paul knows what Philemon could do to Onesimus. Paul knows what is expected to be done to Onesimus. It's what culture says to do. It's what the current government says to do. It had been what Philemon's neighbors would have expected him to do. But even in this moment, Philemon has a decision to make. What is right is often hard. And what is right often will go against maybe what culture says to do. I mean, Paul could have said, okay, I know what you're supposed to do. Would you just beat him a little bit? Just don't kill him. Maybe take one arm. Just brand him on the arm instead of the head. Just don't kill him. Like, Paul could have asked that, but that's not what Paul is asking. Paul is saying, will you restore him? Will you no longer see him as a slave or someone you own or someone who is less than you or doesn't deserve what you have deserved? Will you see him as someone who is created in the image of God? What Paul is saying, I think, to Philemon is, even in this moment, this isn't really about you. Uh, so much of our life and our culture is about us. How will it benefit me? How will it hurt me? How is it going to impact what's going on in my future? How will it take away from my resources? Uh, I, we live on Missouri bottoms, and when I drive the bottoms and then cut through towards the mall, often there is stuff thrown on the road there. I don't know if you've ever taken this. Yesterday I was driving through, and I, I took these pictures. Um, just couches, right? Just, if this was you, I'm sorry. I'm not sorry, but hopefully it wasn't you, but um, I'll help you go pick it up if it was. Um, but here's what happens, I think. Someone says, I don't want it anymore. I'm going to get rid of it, and I don't really care how it impacts anybody else. And I think that's part of what we do. I think as we see our neighbors in need, we see people who don't look like us. Often the question is more about us than it is about them. Amen. And the gospel changes that. The love of God, when it changes our hearts, it changes that. Our life is no longer just simply about us. It's not. So we see needs, we have compassion. We see people hurt, and we have compassion we see things happen around us. We don't know what to do. The response should be, how can I be compassionate? Because if you are specifically a follower of Jesus, 
It's not like a if you want to be. I think this is the expectation of God. As God is compassionate to us, the expectation is that we will show compassion. And so Paul is just simply saying to Philemon, look, I know what you could do. I even know what you should do. I know what everyone thinks you ought to do. But, but maybe you could do something different. Maybe the changed life, Philemon, that you've experienced will change how you see Onesimus as he comes back. See, Philemon's not simply a kingdom of his government, a part of the, the kingdom of his government or the rulers. Philemon is a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, which looks different. And as followers of Jesus, we are kingdom-minded people first. God's kingdom over our own or even the culture around us. And so Paul is pleading with him, would you see him differently? And so Onesimus is going to make this journey back, carrying this reference letter, hoping that he receives the compassion from Philemon. This is the hope we share in the gospel, right? Our hope is that, that we have a past and we have a story, we have experiences, and we go to God in hopes that he will be compassionate towards us. And he is. That he'll be kind towards us. And he is. That he'll show forgiveness to us. And he does. That he will restore us. And he does. And this is simply what Paul is asking Philemon to live out. He says, Philemon, you know the gospel. You know the good news. Here is a great opportunity to put it into practice. And the good news is we get to do that as well. We get to play a part in that. We get to play a part in helping people find forgiveness, to give forgiveness, and even at times to ask for it. He's asking him to show compassion and to remove the barriers. And this is the last part we're going to lead into next week. Ultimately, what he's asking Philemon to do is to remove barriers. Maybe racial barriers, economic barriers, title barriers. He's asking him to remove those barriers. I'm reading a book right now called Tattoos on the Heart by Greg Boyle. I would highly encourage you to read this book. It's a Jesuit priest in L.A., works with some of the hardest gang members in L.A., uh, he's buried about 200 gang members, uh, but he gives them employment. He loves them well, but ultimately he shows compassion to these men and women that, that rarely see it. And this is what he says, Greg Boyle. He says, compassion isn't just about feeling the pain of others. It's about bringing them in toward yourself. If we love what God loves, then in compassion, margins get erased. Be compassionate as God is compassionate means the dismantling of barriers that exclude. I'm going to read that again. Compassion isn't just about feeling the pain of others. It's about bringing them in toward yourself. If we love what God loves, then in compassion, margins get erased. Be compassionate as God is compassionate means the dismantling of barriers that exclude. In this moment, Paul is saying to Philemon, Get rid of the barriers. Get rid of the boundaries. Get rid of the margins and bring Onesimus in close to you. Don't just feel his pain, but bring him close. And so, would you and I, may we 
do what is right even when it's hard. May we be compassionate to others just as God is compassionate to us. And may you see that it is love and love alone that changes you, that changes me, that changes our relationships and changes our lives. And if you haven't found that love, if you've never believed that forgiveness is available to you, that you are outside of the realm of that, would you just hear me say today that you're not? Just as Onesimus, a runaway slave, finds himself in chains, is introduced to this amazing love that changes his life, and there's power in that changed life. Would you stand as we sing? I'll pray, and then we'll sing. God, I'm thankful for this really short, simple letter that Paul writes. Meaning and the impact for Onesimus, I pray, would have the same meaning and impact for us. God, would we find ourselves in this story? Would we see the power of a changed life? Would we believe in the power of a changed heart? Would we see this good news? God, would you help us to be compassionate? Would you help us to remove barriers? Open up those areas that exclude others. God, would you help us to do that? God, I'm thankful you've done that for me. I'm thankful you've done that for many people in this room. And Lord, would it be our response with the invitation to Philemon be the same as it is to us, that we would receive people in, that we would draw them near. God, would you help us do that? I pray in Jesus' name.